Okay, now we're recording. Um, and let me make sure the chat is up and running. Okay. Okay. So, so far, you guys, Fermented Shark has her hand raised. And uh, so if anybody else has um, anything they want to talk about, please raise your hand because that's the only way I know. Um, the other thing is you can do is uh, go into the chat and post a question. I sometimes forget to open it, but I, I opened it just now. Okay. Fermented Shark, continue. Okay, so, um, you know, nice little trip to Iceland, come back and feel the rage of life pouring in, because uh, so I have to go back to work tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and a little update from last time, I guess I spoke too soon when I was talking about the new contract and stuff, um, because as soon as I sent them the marked up contract with my comments and the lawyer's comments, they've come back and said, oh, we can't talk to you or enter into agreement with you because you're still employed with your group. And I said, you bought my group. So we know what does this mean? Mm -hmm. And I guess um, when they bought the practice, they bought our real estate and they took over the rent, but they did not acquire any employee contracts, um, which oh. my lawyer had told me, but we didn't know what that meant. Um, so now they said, well, your group has to terminate you and then we can talk to you. And I said, well, why don't we talk and come to like a contract, you know, an agreeable contract, just as if I was interviewing for a job otherwise. Yeah. And then the same day I, you know, I can sign the termination letter with my original group and sign with you the same day. Mm -hmm. But if you don't allow this, there's going to be like a gap in, you know, I can't see patients until like I sign with you guys. Um, and now they're refusing to talk to me and saying that, oh, sorry, our hands are tied. We can't do anything. So it doesn't make sense. It's, um, they're a huge publicly traded company and it doesn't make sense that they would drop the ball on something like this. That seems so routine, but, um, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course this is after I've paid a lawyer for two hours of contract review. They couldn't tell me that in the three weeks I had the contract. It was just now, um, so I get to go back to all that nonsense tomorrow. Um, but what I want to talk about was um, time management. So um, I have felt really, essentially since starting this job, that my time management has really, really gone down the tubes. I used to be like a ninja um, when I was probably still to this day. Um, I'm still probably the most productive resident in terms of research and like my residency program. Um you know, we did not have a lot of support, but, you know, it was just something I managed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt, especially in the last couple of years, a lot of that dropping off. Not that I necessarily have, like, work work to do when I come home, but there's other things I'm, like, interested in trying to do with my life, like personal finance and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and right before I left, so what I tend to do is I tend to set a lot of timers, um, one to kind of help me snap out of ruminations, but two to also be like, Oh, this much time has passed. Cause I'm not really good at telling how much time has passed. And right before I left for vacation, I discovered a new way to do it where instead of just like setting a random five minute timer or 10 minute timer, whatever it is, I made it more active. Like I want to have these two parts of my nighttime routine done in the next five minutes. Um, or I want to have all my shirts packed for my trip in the next 10 minutes. And it worked like really well for two days. Um, mm -hmm. and then I noticed even on my trip, kind of like 
falling back into some of the old stuff with losing track of time. And I'm in this very bad cycle where I'm not managing my time well when I'm coming home. And then I'm staying up super late and then I'm really tired the next day. And then I feel like that's affecting my time management because I don't have the energy to like hustle and be efficient. So what's an example of not managing your time well? Um, so when I come home in the evenings, I usually eat dinner. I do some sort of exercise. Um, oftentimes I'll go for a walk. I've kind of gotten back into exercises recently. And then what happens is after I eat dinner, but before I shower, I'll spend like hours either like on the couch or sometimes on social media or like looking up other stuff on my phone. Um, when I could be doing something like, um, reading some of the white coat investor posts that have been piling up in my email or something a little more productive. And I don't feel that I need to be productive the whole night, but it'd be nice to do like 30 minutes of something. And then what happens is the night gets really late and then I shower and then I go to bed and it's getting like later and later We're you know, used to be midnight and then I'm going to bed at like 2 a.m. Hmm. Or, um, so how much are you sleeping? What's your sleep routine? Um, so on the weekdays, six hours or less, which is bad. And then I end up like making up for it on the weekends by like binging 10 to 12 hours of sleep a night. Okay. So this is wonderful to talk about. It's like one of my most favorite topics not necessarily time management, but it all fits together because sleep is a really, really important topic. So let's see if these are connected. I think they probably are. We've um, probably all like listened to enough of the um, progress of your current situation to kind of have a somewhat of an idea that it seems as though you're a person who is um, an active person who's not indolent, who is always has a goal in mind, progressing, 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 um, with some degree of, uh, I don't know what the right word is that I'm looking for, but like consistency maybe. Yes. I crave consistently consistency so badly, which I am not getting at work. Cause like my schedule is so erratic with everything going on, um, yeah. but I would just so much love some consistency. Yeah. So um, with sleep, sleep is so, 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 so critical for human health. And I would encourage anybody to take a look at your sleep, your sleep patterns. What do you do leading up to sleep? What is your sleep environment? Um, and there are some really simple things to do to kind of tweak it so that you can increase the amount of restorative sleep you're getting. Um, everybody kind of has their amount that they're set for. Um, but I would suspect that six hours is not enough. And I think most of the literature would suggest that it's like seven to nine hours. So you're not too far off, but like if you are somebody who does better with nine hours, then it's actually kind of far. Um, but obviously the easy things are to go to bed and wake up at close to the same time as possible every day, even on the weekends, um, being consistent through the weekends and having, you know, a nighttime routine that promotes restorative sleep. I I have like a gazillion things I can, 
post about it, but um, I think that could be like a goal, right? Like to have your time management be the byproduct of having a goal of increasing the amount of restorative sleep you're getting. Yeah. Um, I'll do stupid stuff where like I could easily get eight hours of sleep. And then, cause what sometimes happens is if I waste time in the evening, then I'll get like my second wind around 10 PM and I'm like, I'll go do something now, like something productive. Yeah. And I'll be like, Oh, well it's okay. If I don't get eight hours of sleep, like I can get seven and then seven turns into six. So it's like, mm-hmm. I'm knowingly delaying sleeping and it's very irritating, but I just like keep doing it. And I'm not sure why. Well, I mean, I can guess. Can you guess? Because <laughs> I'm trying to get something done or like feeling like I've accomplished something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, okay. It's kind of complex actually. And it allows us some sort of like tentacles in these different areas. When we're doing something to distract ourselves from whatever the pain of the day is, that could be Uh, like you described, sitting on the couch and watching something or scrolling social media or whatever. Um, For other people, it might be alcohol. For other people, it might be, you know, you name it. All kinds of behaviors that we do in order to feel better. So you have a sufficient amount of stress in your day-to-day life that it's no surprise that you're doing something at the end of the day, whether consciously or unconsciously, probably just to escape, Just just to not be in the vortex of shit, you know, Um, and that's a completely human thing to do. And, but it is like, okay, to an extent until it becomes maladaptive and only, you know, when that is. And so anybody who listens to this might just take a look at her own life and say, okay, are these things that I'm doing actually helping me? I'm like feeling better. Am, Am I getting a little bit of a rest or a boost when I do these things? Or is it actually maladaptive? And causing more problems. It sounds like for you, it's causing more problems. Yes. Now. Okay. So then setting a goal, whatever that might be, is it could be, uh, you know, a, a, a white coast investor goal or a fix your sleep goal or whatever the goal is. And then in the process of relentlessly pursuing that goal, one thing that has to happen is you have to manage your time better. I don't want to say better because that kind of implies like some sort of hierarchy of what's good and what isn't good, but you just have to manage your time differently. So what would be a goal for you that would be worthwhile? Um, I feel that if I could go to sleep on time, then we'll say seven, eight hours. Um, because right now with work, um, just with everything going on, we've lost like a lot of referrals. I've been turning down like some of my voluntary call when they called me um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get paid by my group anyway so mm-hmm. I do have a little bit more time than I did you know say even like three months ago mm-hmm. so I think if I could get seven eight hours of sleep it would help stabilize my mood a little bit against the For shit sure. and I could be like a little less reactive and then if one, and then I'll have the energy to be productive um, Correct. where, you know, when I come home, instead of like taping a na- taking a nap or just like being exhausted and sitting on my couch, I may, I would have the energy to do like 30 or 60 minutes of something productive or even more. Yeah. And then stay on track. Okay. So the goal is I'm going to put ideal outcome is eight hours. I'm going to say eight. 
Okay. So what do you need to do in order to get eight hours of sleep? Well, you have to have like have a set bedtime. What do you want your bedtime to be? Um, let's say 11 PM. Oh Lord have mercy. I'm early 1 million years old as of today. <laughs> because like Eight o'clock rolls around and I'm thinking, where's my bed? Well, you're early to bed, early to rise, right? I yeah. I would love to try to have a morning routine just because, like, um, the very few times I've exercised in the morning, like, on the weekends, it's nice when the day, like, evening comes and I'm like, oh, I already did it. I don't have to worry about it. But um, that's going to be, like, a very long-term goal. First, we need to not go to bed at 2 a.m. You know what? You're making a really good point here that I hope anybody listening really pays attention to is when we set our goals – there are long-term goals and short-term goals and the short-term goals um, the like having a realistic short-term goal that's like achievable with minimal effort will give you so much positive reinforcement. And something I wanted to mention a second ago with the behaviors that we do in order to escape the vortex of shit, they upset the dopamine reward system. So um what ends up happening is we need to do more and more of the thing to get that good feeling that is produced from the thing. So, so for me, let's just say binging a TV show on Netflix, I'll use as an example, I would need to like originally just to feel good or not bad. I would watch maybe what an hour of TV and so dopamine's getting kicked out and your dopamine reward system is kind of doing the, the thing with the um pleasure pain balance, but then you get sensitized and you need more and more of the thing. So then now I'm watching 90 minutes and then I'm watching two hours and then I'm watching two and a half hours and I'm watching three hours and just to be able to feel like, okay. And, um, you could substitute any behavior for that thing. And in order to restore the pleasure pain balance, if you stop the thing, you have to stop it for like 10, 12 to 14 days or something like that in order for your dopamine system to get back into balance again, because it will result in like a craving where you, because your dopamine is now actually sub, um, like normal level. So like gives you a def, like a, a dopamine deficit. It's really complicated and it's, and it's cleverly written out in that book, uh, dopamine nation, which we've talked about in this group before. Um, but it, for anybody who's trying to do this and you're trying to decrease the amount of that that behavior that you're engaging in just to feel better from the vortex of shit you you might have like an urge like a like a craving type of a sensation and some really nice things that you can do to help that are this is going to sound crazy but they're like moderately painful and that might include something like taking an ice bath or an ice shower because it's moderately painful but what it does is it stimulates the dopamine reward system in a, in a different way and it helps manage craving and it helps you get your dopamine back to baseline um without um feeding the um 
the system with the action that you usually do. Does this make sense how I'm explaining it? Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that that was a thing. It is a thing. So when you, for you or for anybody who might be trying to reduce an act, an action that is an act, like a buffering type of an action, it's hard to do because we are physically sensitized. We It's like an addictive type of a thing. And, um, you know, you didn't say that that was happening to you, but I just wanted to take this opportunity for people to explain that because you might find that it's really difficult to wean off of something. And then it takes like a full 12 to 14 days to get that like completely out of your system and for your dopamine board system to come back into better balance. But anyway, so let's just circle back bedtime at 11 PM. So what do you need to do in order to like literally be shutting your eyes at 11 PM? Um, I need to be realistic about my nighttime routine. Like I take long showers. I take long to get ready for bed. And like part of the thing I was doing for those couple of days before I left for my trip is let's shorten your bedtime routine. And it'll work for me in like short bursts of time. But I feel like because I'm so chronically tired that it's hard for me to sustain that. Like on my vacation, I was like, okay, great. This worked for you at home. So let's try to do this here. Um, But the way things were scheduled, I didn't sleep that much on this vacation. And so it was back to like, oh, everything's taking forever. So I need to be realistic. And like, if I haven't showered already, like right after exercise class or dinner or whatever, then like be in the shower by 10 p.m. So when you say you take a long shower, how are we talking? Like how long? Um... So like washing my hair is about 30 minutes, maybe longer. Um, a regular, just like body shower I can do in like six or seven minutes. That That is itself I've gotten like better at. Um, but it'll be like the lotion and the brushing the teeth and everything else that comes along with like going to bed. So this is a part of operant conditioning though. So don't, um, I would like to offer that maybe you could give yourself a little grace around your bedtime routine because we are all subject to operant conditioning, which means that our brain really, really loves these cues that signal we're about to go to bed. And the, um, in a class I just took about sleep, it was something around like 30 to 60 minutes was like a good amount of time for a bedtime routine. So maybe you don't have to shorten things as much as you think. Well, it's interesting you say that because like when I travel with friends or my sister or like with my boyfriend or whatever, everyone comments like how much longer I take to get to bed than Mm -hmm. they do or than anybody else they they do. But then this 30 to 60 minutes sounds so normal to me. So I'm like, am I just surrounded by super fast people or... Well, I mean, disordered sleep is really common. So who knows, unless we talk to them and kind of dived into what it is they're experiencing. But, and then also their routine might be different, right? So like their routine might be reading for 30 minutes or um, going for a walk or cleaning or whatever. So, but you know, what you have equated to your bedtime routine doesn't matter what it is, as long as your brain is responding in a way that signals you're going to go to sleep. And so maybe everybody else just needs to stop judging you. Because I think I do sleep better than some of those people, but like, I love my showers. I'm a tree hugger, but I do love a long, warm shower. And I kind of feel like that's part of the reason I do sleep well once I'm mm-hmm. sleeping. Yeah, it could very well be. And I, I completely understand. So 
the amount of benefit you get from restorative sleep is going to far outweigh the damage you cause with your showers. Yeah. Would be my guess. Okay. So nighttime routine, you're going to shower, all the grooming. And let's just say it's going to take 60 minutes. So we'll start that at 10. Okay. What else needs to happen? Um, I'm trying to set, um, goals with like what time I need to be back in my apartment and eating dinner by. Cause like, especially in the evenings when it's nice, like I live in a warmer climate. Um, you know, if it's a nice evening, instead of just like walking for an hour, I'll walk for like an hour and a half or like two hours because I'm enjoying it. And so what I'm trying to do is say, okay, you need to be back in your apartment by eight so that you can eat dinner around then. Um, and then, you know, um, eat dinner, maybe relax a little bit and then get in the shower by 10. Okay. This is my favorite conversation of all times because we're really diving into sleep. Um, research shows that you should eat at least three hours before you go to bed, if not more hours than that. Because if your body has a meal to digest, it has to divert its attention away from your sleep. And so your sleep will be shallower or less restorative if it's working on digestion for the first portion of the sleep cycle or the the evening. So might I suggest that you plan to eat a little earlier if that's possible for you? I mean, it's not like we all do it. So it's not, I'm not trying to be like the sleep warden here, but just try to give good information for people for small changes they can make to help improve the quality of their sleep. So for you, maybe that could be seven so that your meals complete by eight. And that way you have three full hours before you go to sleep. Do you think? Yeah, I think, um, I think the challenge is, is trying to get the exercise and dinner before eight based on when I come home from work. Um, in because where I live is like not super safe after dark so like mm-hmm. a lot of times I will try to exercise after work before especially if I'm like going outside before it gets dark and then eat mm-hmm. um and then a lot of times because my clinic's such a shit show for all the reasons we've discussed I'm oftentimes not eating lunch until like four or four thirty so then I don't want dinner until like eight or eight thirty so These are things that anybody can consider as well, like change up our definitions around what means breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, there are all kinds of attitudes and belief systems around how we eat and what we eat and all that other stuff. And I'll leave that up to everybody's individual decision-making. But one thing that's fun to play around with is, okay, like do, if I eat, I call it the late lunch because my husband does this all the time. It drives me crazy. I'm a cook. I love cooking and I cook meals frequently and he'll go have a fucking burrito at like three 30 in the afternoon. <laughs> and I'm trying to serve dinner at five 30. And I'm like, what the heck <laughs> what did you do? I want to eat lunch at lunchtime, but like usually my morning clinic runs into the afternoon and then I'm just yeah. hangry all afternoon. <laughs> so maybe there's a way to consider like whatever that, mid to late afternoon meal is, is a meal meal. And then the thing that you eat for dinner that we would traditionally call dinner is just something super light. So it doesn't impact your sleep. Just a thought. These are just ideas we're trying out. Um, okay. So what else? Okay. So you want to get to your, back to your 
home by you said eight o'clock and I'll mm-hmm. say, I'm going to say seven just as a goal. <laughs> and, uh, what else? So sometimes it's easier. Um, I've started taking the train to work like one or two days a week whenever I'm not on call, um, which I love because then I'm not tortured by traffic. Um, I can usually dictate some notes. Um, and it also forces me, it for, like forces some of my time management a little bit because I need to like catch a train. Yeah. Um, but again, that's like, oh, and actually now that daylight savings time has started, I don't know if I will do it because I won't do the train coming back at when it's dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of this depends on like when I can actually leave work. And a lot of times, even if my clinic's done by four, because I want to eat before I leave, I will oftentimes not leave until like five or six because then I'll get sucked into doing notes or I'll say like, because what I'm trying to tell myself is, you know, why don't you go home on time, eat and exercise on time, and then in the evening you can finish your notes when it's dark and you can't go out. Um, but what inevitably ends up happening is I'll start eating my lunch at like 4.30 and I'll say, oh, I could do this note or oh, I can put in this order. Oh, I can answer this. And then it's like six o'clock and I've like ruined any attempt at doing anything on time. Okay. So other things to consider around, um, we talked about food and kind of changing up de- definitions of your meals. The other thing is, is if you have something that's working for you to get your office work done, I don't know that it would be worth disrupting that. Like, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. Um, so, so many of us particularly have a hard time getting our notes done and all this other stuff caught up on during the work day. And so being able to get that done during the so-called work day, is pretty awesome. And you know what? So many things work for different people, and only you're going to be able to know when you play around with these things. Which the ultimate thing is like you got to you've got to treat it like an experiment, where you get data. You try it away for a week, and you get data, and you say, "Does this work or doesn't this work?" and tweak it. Um, but if you're already in a routine where you're able to get that work, I would think about that before you switch it up and maybe think about tweaking the other things that are still kind of in a little bit of a, don't have it their own home in your routine. Other things to consider around exercise is if you're choosing to do an exercise, that's a longer exercise, like an hour and a half walk. Can you double dip during that time and listen to a white coat podcast or do some other thing that you're trying to knock out during the evening, but double dip while you're exercising or is there an exercise program that you could do that requires less time because there are there like all the hit all the data surrounding hit exercises shows that you you only have to do it like for 10 minutes maybe 20 at the most and there are all kinds of hit that you can spread throughout the day and ways to exercise differently so that might be a way to play around with the with the tetris puzzle of your day Yes. Yeah, so I'm um, frequently in my walks. I will listen to something. Um, there's many times that I don't have the mental energy to do anything, but just like walk and take in my surroundings. So obviously on those days, I just don't listen to anything. Of course. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I do here and there do like the 30 minute hit classes. I think um, a couple weeks ago, you're talking about 
the strength training and the sarcopenia and stuff like that. So I'm trying to incorporate some of the stuff that you um, mentioned there, but I'll say in general, even if I do an exercise class, it's about an hour um, plus, you know, usually about 10 to 15 minutes for me to walk to class and 10 to 15 minutes to walk back. So I feel like either way I end up doing an hour and a half, whether I'm walking or like going to a class. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, you're through this conversation, we're defining all these things that make up these tasks you want to accomplish on probably most days of the week. But at the end of the day, I think what any of us has to do is just decide what is non-negotiable and decide what is negotiable and go from there. And for me, my sleep is non-negotiable. Like I have a freaking cow. If my sleep gets disrupted, I lose it. So it's just the thing that I won't compromise on. Um, And all of us will have a set point for what's non-negotiable. And then from that, you can work backwards. Do you feel like you'd be able to do that with the different yeah, um, yeah, because like um, I don't really exercise before my OR day because I tend to come home too late and I definitely need to go to sleep on time. Um, I also need to somehow get better about having my clinic, fi- like the morning clinic, finish on time because if I feel that if I could eat my lunch and you know close some of my morning notes during lunch. Then I don't need to sit there until 6 p.m. eating lunch, finishing my notes, and then sitting in a bunch of traffic. Um, yeah. I also feel like if I could control, or no, maybe not control, um, but improve some of that time, like lunch during the day, actually get a lunch break, even if it's just like a few minutes, um, yeah. but that would then help the evening. Um, so then this is great. And I hope everybody who listens recognizes how we're starting with a goal and working backwards. And anybody can do this with your own schedule. And so what we're doing is it started out with an evening thing and now we're rolling it back. Okay. Now, then it was like a four o'clock clinic is over thing in that period between four and six. And now we're rolling it back even further. Well, something's going on in the morning clinic that's not ending on time. Okay. Well, what's that? What's in your way of ending the morning clinic on time? Um, Sometimes I'll do 1130 add-ons. Like if I was on call, that obviously ruins the day, but I actually add on cases. Oh, no, no. Um, add on patients. Okay. Because um, 1130 means they maybe show up at 1130, which means they're not ready to be seen by 12, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and then our staff will go to lunch as they should. Um, and then it'll like delay the patient being ready for me. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think the other issue is we have a scribe and, um, she works with me on the days she's not with the senior partner. And um, I really want to encourage her because she wants to be a doctor and whatnot, but I think she's just slowing me down. It's been a couple months. Um, And if I think about my last few weeks of lunches, we've actually ended clinic on time, but the lunch hour has been me has been me going over all her notes with her. Um, And I'm like, this is just taking triple the amount of time. Yeah, I did that too with a scribe, and I found that I was much faster on my own. Once yeah, I and I don't think completed. I know I'm gonna have to figure out how to tell them that I. I mean, because you know, I want to encourage her. She's very enthusiastic. She likes to learn. She asks me like good questions about patients. Um, but I just think as a scribe, that's maybe not the best role for her. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, Because I've seen like the senior partner's notes. He doesn't correct like any of her errors or any of her mistakes. Yep. Okay. So we're going to get rid of the scribe and finish on, finish morning on time. Maybe, do you want to see those patients, those add-ons, or do you not? Um, well, we have that issue where I was told that the PA is, like, not really allowed to work with me. So he actually doesn't even show up to work when I have clinic. He's at home, like, fooling around. So I kind of have to see the patients. Like, there's no one else that can see them for me. Okay, so if um, that's not something that is within your power to change right now, then is there a way that the pa- they can have those patients come in at, like, 10 instead of 11 or 11.30? Um, that is what I prefer. Um, I think what's happening is because they're playing around with my schedules a little bit is that it's opening slots that I don't have open. Like I don't normally do 1130. Sometimes I will say yes, patient can come, but, um, we have like a lot of really incompetent staff right now. So instead of somebody noticing, Hey, she doesn't see patients at 1130. It's, Oh, um, yeah, we're just going to put that patient because there's a slot open that shouldn't be there. Well, okay. I mean, it seems like every suggestion, there's like a reason why it can't work. And for everybody listening, this is the critical thing. There's always going to be a reason why it can't work. And that's what this is all about is trying to figure out those are the obstacles that we all need to overcome. And so once you understand the reason why you think it can't work, we can start to ask ourselves, okay, well then how can I make this work? How can I, what can I do differently? What can we do differently that will make this work differently? Sometimes what that means is setting up boundaries with your coworkers. Sometimes what that means is is setting up boundaries with patients. Sometimes what that means is, is doing something yourself. Sometimes what that means is, is I don't know, you fill in the blank, but there's going to be an obstacle that we have to figure out how to overcome if the goal that you're working towards is meaningful enough. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we'll be able to solve within this hour, like what's happening between you and your people, but there must be some kind of something, even if that slot is open, that there's like, even, um, like a, like a protocol, like these, I can see two add-ons, per morning clinic, or I can see four add-ons per morning clinic at this time, this time, and this time. And, but they have to show up at blah. Here it is. Now, are they going to do that or not? I don't know, but I'm trying to make these suggestions. So people, when they're thinking about overcoming their, overcoming their own obstacles with their own situation, how they might structure something like that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, tomorrow I'll ask my office manager to take a look and see what's happening with the templates um, and just tell her to fix that so it blocks the slot. Um, I think some of it is, you know, she's just going to have to tell the staff they cannot bend to the will of the patients. Um, Before I left, my MA texted me asking if I can uh, see a patient 30 minutes before I start clinic. And I said, no, I don't ever do that. So like, I don't care if that's what the patient's asking. I'm not here. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, just maybe having her talk to the staff and say, this is the schedule. The patients need to come like within this time if they want to be seen. Yeah. The way I see this rolling out for many people, particularly as it 
pertains to not being able to get your notes done, this is a thing that plagues many, many people, many doctors is not being able to get their notes done and feeling like they're constantly under a mountain of notes. Now it doesn't sound like that's a problem for you, but this is just a, another variation of that. And what can end up happening is a fundamental inequality within one's office environment where the female surgeon is engaging with the whole shebang in a way that is different than the way that the male surgeon is engaging with the whole shebang and with that, the way people respond. And um, some of the things that I've seen, like concrete examples are, you know, people will come to the female surgeon to solve problems. Um, People will come to the female surgeons to do service recovery if a patient's unhappy. Um, And there's this expectation that the female surgeon's just going to like do it when the male surgeons don't. And I might be kind of like, getting on a sexist soapbox here. And I don't really mean to, but if anybody who's listening to this is looking at her own day and is like, I can't get X, Y, or Z done during the day. Well, look at why, like what is actually happening? And my guess is it's going to be some fundamental inequality about the way things are rolling out within your own environment. We know for fermented shark, there are some inequalities like why, the PA gets to behave this way with you, but doesn't get to behave this way with other people. Why some stuff is tolerated for the senior partner, but it's not tolerated for you. We've heard these stories over and over again, but what it ends up resulting in is you being completely exhausted and then sitting on your couch at 10 PM watching TV when you really should be in bed or whatever that looks like for any person. So I think it's really, really important to think about this for one's own life. Um, I kind of went on a rant there, fermented truck. I apologize. Uh, No, I mean, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that. Um, So I've been trying to like rein in some of the problem solving and like staff interactions, um, trying to set those boundaries. Um, If this is helpful for anybody, um, part of the reason I get my notes done the way I do is like, um, so I do a little bit of prep the night before just so I know who needs what, but our MAs put in the HPI usually. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do the exam in the room. And then if they have a common condition that I um, uh, have a template for, I will just put that template in the room while I have the note open already. And that way, you know, if the patients want to like go on and on about something or they expect that, hey, you're the female doctor, you need to be in the room longer than that but with them, they get, hey, she's in the room with me, she's listening to me, but then I'm also doing the note while we mm-hmm. are um, uh, doing that. And again, it doesn't work for like complex patients that I dictate later, but um, I find that this is a helpful way to try to get a lot of notes done during the day. I think that's really good. Um, okay. So what we see, which is another really good, um, illustration is that the thing we think is the problem is not actually the problem. So fermented chart came today with help for time management regarding her evenings and just taking a look at the entire day and just trying to identify the goal and then working backwards, we see that it's actually not any one thing that's like near the evening time. It's this thing that starts in the beginning of the day. And we can even roll it back further than that. Like we can roll it back to what's happening when you wake up, what's happening in the morning, 
blah, 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 blah. And some, some people may need to do that, just like account for the entire day. And it can be really, really helpful to keep some kind of a journal about what you're actually doing and when. Because we think we know what we're doing and when, but you really don't unless you just um, sort of document, even if it's just for like a few days. So you see where it is. You can gain awareness about where it is you're losing time wherever. Um, And then the last trick that I'll mention is for when I was in private practice for many, many months, I would think about this is part of the nighttime routine, actually. So I would think about what the next day had in store for me. And I would, I would literally plan the whole day. Now this sounds a little OCD and it kind of was, I guess, to a certain extent, but it just kept me on track. And I would plan like what time I would wake up. I would plan for the exact amount of minutes it would take me to do everything, like make coffee, make breakfast, make my daughter's lunch, work out because I would work out in the mornings, how long the commute was, how long it would take to do the morning clinic, how long I had between morning and afternoon, what was happening in the afternoon. And then I would plan for disruptions. I would add time in for disruptions. So they had like a fail safe and then I planned the evening as well. And I did that relentlessly for many months. And it was great because when I planned it all ahead of time the night before, I wasn't stressed out about anything. I was just kind of like making a map of how the day was going to look the next day. And then I would just execute the day. And the other thing it allows you to do is set up priorities. It sets up like, okay, what's non-negotiable for my day? And I'm going to for sure get that thing tackled, whatever's non-negotiable and whatever else, like is not that big a deal. It's like a triage process. Um, And it also allowed me to reflect on kind of like the things like where I had come from, from the previous day. And it was just a really nice exercise. So anybody might be interested in doing that. I've shown some clients these journals that I kept and they are ridiculously detailed, but uh, they don't have to be that detailed. This sounds kind of crazy the way I'm talking about it. It doesn't have to be that detailed, but it is helpful. Um, What else? What else is on your mind, Fermented Shark? Does any of this sound like just even talking about it and trying to kind of label things and identify what's what, is it going to help? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know sometimes like the morning clinic can be slow to start if like patients show up late or like the staff is slow or whatever. But um, I think if I can really, get a hold of lunch, (laughs) then it'll help my evening. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be well rested for the morning. And then we can just like, continue. And, um, you know, I've tried to be nice and patient with the scribe for three months. But maybe now's the time where I say like, listen, it's just not working for me. For sure. I mean, yeah, you want her to go to med school and you want her to be prepared for what's realistic about this. Like, this is where, um, like placating people doesn't actually help them. Like placating yeah, also, is not going to help her. Right. I mean, again, I do edits with her and she's made a lot of progress, but it's one of those things where, um, you know, she was not trained. Um, it was like her first scribe job, but we don't have like managers that train the staff. The senior partner doesn't even talk to the staff, let alone train them. So it's like all the training falls on me. 
And we have such a high turnover of staff that quite frankly, I am tired of it. I am tired of like slowing down my clinic and training people over and over and over just to have them leave or just be told that they can't work with me. And if I'm just going to be faster on my own, then I got to do what I got to do until things realize. This is another point for people. When you're looking at your day, look at the roles you're playing. So Fermented Shark is describing the role of the trainer. She is in the role of the person who trains everybody and she doesn't get a friggin' paycheck. So look at that. Like, okay, are you in the role of the trainer? Are you in the role of the party planner? Are you in the role of running a bed and breakfast in your home? Like, what are the roles that you're playing and what is it that you want to do? And what is it that you want to resign from? Because sometimes we just have to say, oh, yeah, I see that I'm in this role of the trainer and I actually don't want to do that. So I'm not going to anymore. And there are ways to resign from these roles that are delightful. It doesn't mean you have to blow things up in the office or in your own home, but it also doesn't mean you need to keep doing it just because. And shit doesn't change as long as we take care of everything all the time. So for you, Fermented Shark, since things are kind of like so, so bad anyway, like how much worse can they get? <laughs> you know, I'm so worried to say that since I said that back in March and then like the worst things ever happened. But, um, yeah. you know, when I had that whole ambush, uh, whatever that was, that ambush between the senior partner and then our financial person and our office manager, the office manager said, well, you know, I, I didn't know everything you wanted to do because I don't have that knowledge. And I was like, I spent two years teaching you. If you chose not to absorb that, that's on you. So I kind of feel like even though I take the time to train, because I do think it's important, it's not being um, absorbed or appreciated or whatever. So it's like, what's the point? I'll just do everything I need to do on my own. And then hopefully when things stabilize, I can go back to having like the staff actually help out um, the way we intended. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, but anyway, so you can resign from roles, unwanted roles, and that will free, free you up for other things that you actually desire, like going to bed on time. Um, this is a great example. I'm really happy that you brought it. And I hope that people benefit from learning about these different exercises to kind of just look at the day with a, with a scientist's eye and try. And we also, can have this invitation to not judge ourselves for how we are doing things and um, be scientific about it and say, okay, well, this clearly isn't working. So what, what would I like? What what's the outcome that I really want here? I'm going to try X, Y, and Z, get some data around those things. Is it working? Is it not working? How do I tweak it? Like life is a lab. Yes. Well, um, I'm going to eat my dinner at 9.20 p.m., but maybe tomorrow I can start implementing some of this stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you for mentioning. Thank you. This was helpful. You always bring us such juicy stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, well, we have about 10 more minutes. Nobody else has raised their hand, but we can we can go with something else. Does anybody else have anything they want to talk about? Okay. 
I guess we'll call it. We'll call it early tonight. You all have a wonderful night and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.